Welcome to another episode of Middle School Music with your hosts. I'm Farhan Lalji, and with me, as always, is Dario Devet. Dario, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's uh, okay. Let's just do that again because it sounds like I always say that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Nice. You got three words in, Dario. Uh, I got three words in. <laughs> All right. Let's go again. Okay. Sorry, sorry. All right. Welcome to another episode of Middle School Music. I'm your host, Farhan Lalji, and with me as always is my good friend and colleague, Dario Duet. Dario, how are you doing today? We're at, uh, what, episode two, season three. I'm good. It's raining outside, though. It's a bit of a bummer. It should be uh, quite different to the, to the good summer weather we've had up to this point. I know, I know. The weather is, is definitely not summer-like in London today, but we've, we've had some glimpses of it, and hopefully we'll get back to it this weekend and next week. Um, but it's kind of like apropos of kind of what's going on in the world. Uh, so many of you might be missing your regular fix of middle school music. Uh, we just thought with everything kind of going on in the world uh, last week with the Black Lives Matter movement that both of us have supported and are um, very watching with, with you know, kind of open eyes and, and trying to kind of establish and re-examine our own kind of selves. Um, right now, we just didn't feel like last week was, was the right time to, to release another podcast. Um, but yeah, so, so here we are back again, uh, trying to bring some, some discussion around music, tech, and finance to the world. Uh, talking about music, though, Dario, what have you been listening to? What's been keeping you kind of sane during this crazy time from a music perspective? Well, it's been a while. I mean, I was listening to a lot of John Connor. That's if you guys listened to the first episode of season three. Some of you will be following our Instagram page. That's at middle school, MDLSKL. You'll find uh, some uh, playlist recommendations that we started to put together thematically uh dude i've been listening to so much it's actually ridiculous but one thing i will say i've listened to a lot of is is machine gun kelly's bloody valentine there really? are others that he's been put up that he's been promoting of other artists or kind of unknown artists he's also put an acoustic version out i find it really interesting when you can hear other people's perspectives of how they've approached a song Mm. Um, uh, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. But otherwise, actually, workout wise, been listening to a lot of Future and the older DJ Khaled stuff. Um, really, you know when they used to do those hip hop hyper mixes where there'd be like seven, eight, nine people on a song. Like there are a couple tracks there with like Kendrick, Lil Wayne, Ace Hood. It, it's it's pretty cool. What about you? Um, so I spent a lot of the last week actually listening to the Run the Jewels uh, oh, new album. album. Yeah, I mean, they, they dropped it in kind of like really, um, you know, kind of tense times in the world. And, you know, it is very, as you'd expect with Run the Jewels, you know, kind of like a great kind of commentary on society. Uh, the joke I've been making is they even made Pharrell mad you know, <laughs> with that kind of track that they've got um, with Run the Jewels 4. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a great, great album. So I've been kind of rinsing that uh, a little bit with Just, with Zach De La Rocha and yeah, they've got a couple. I, you know, I was playing Ooh La La um, with Greg Nice because as an old school hip hop head, you know, nice and smooth, uh, that Greg Nice hook kind of was an earworm for me. Uh, and then when they released the album, um, I've been playing a lot of that. Um, there hasn't been a lot of like good new music. Uh, so like yourself, I've been kind of like digging in the crates um, or kind of digging in the search bar on Spotify and going into to a little bit more old school uh, hip hop stuff uh, as well been listening to a lot of Tribe Called Quests, uh, a lot of like more fun, relaxed kind of hip hop alongside kind of the balance out the run, the jewel stuff that I've been playing a lot of um, as well. So that's 
That's what I've been listening to. Uh, and what's going on in the music world, man? What, what, should we, what are we talking about today? There's so much to talk about in the music world. We could do like a five-hour episode. But I think something kind of sticking to the core, you know, like we've done with our recommendations, our old school versus new school. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring it back to the concept of, of music and finance. And I think something that's particularly important to speak about is the Warner Music Group IPO or the WMG IPO. Uh, which was originally postponed from the beginning of March due to COVID-19 and uh, launched on the NASDAQ market on, uh, on the 3rd of June this year. Now, the reason I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention is because we've been talking so much about digital service providers and Spotify and Apple Music and, and all sorts of other market peers. And we talk about their, you know, Spotify struggles or the considerations behind those business models. But Warner Music Group is an incumbent, i.e. it's a label. We've always talked about how labels have struggled. However, there have been changes in the industry, you know, with three to four years of consecutive growth. And uh, I thought it would be a fantastic discussion point between us and considering our backgrounds um, to understand why the IPO has been so successful and what um, implications it has on the industry moving forward. Sounds good. Well, should we dig in? Why don't you set the scene maybe and tell people a little bit more um, around the background behind Warner, where it's kind of come from. I I mean, most people listening to this probably know uh, or have heard of Warner Music, but they might not know, for example, some of the artists that make it up for what were some of the assets that went into that, you know, kind of maybe we can start there. Phew, so much pressure. <laughs> so Warner Music Group is the world's third largest recording company. So it sits behind Sony at second and Universal Music Group at first. Um, now, Warner Music is a label um, or they, they were originally acquired by Access Industries in 2011, um, originally held by its former parent company, which is Time Warner. Now... Warner Music Group, they have a variety of subsidiary labels, including the likes of Atlantic, Warner, Elektra, and Polyphone, and includes artists such as Madonna, Ed Sheeran, and Bruno Mars, just to name a few. They they have a publishing business, which is very lucrative in today's uh, music climate, with a very big catalog, which includes more than 1.4 million compositions. Now, uh, the, the interesting thing about kind of, Warner Music as a whole was actually that it was listed on the New York Stock Exchange until 2011. And then Access Industries came along and acquired it for around $3.3 billion. Um, And that Access Industries, which also has a majority stake in Deezer, which is a DSP, um, Mm. is led by billionaire Leonard Blavatnik. Now, they have been the majority owner ever since, and kind of back then, the share price was roughly $8 a share, which is a huge contrast to today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great kind of like, almost like a private equity type acquisition of a public entity, taking it private, trying to kind of build up the asset itself, seeing the catalog. You mentioned kind of some of the artists. It it is kind of one of those, you know, almost old school type labels where they kind of signed big hit artists and promoted the crap out of them in order to kind of like great get the value out of their catalog um, as well right and it's interesting to see you know kind of access that wasn't really a big name in kind of music or media or in private equity you know not somebody everybody would know of kind of coming in swooping in buying out the asset you know strengthening the business or at least kind of waiting it out until the 
the market kind of um, really kind of properly evaluated or, or valued that business and then taking it back to public. Exactly. And I think what's interesting about it is that if you look at the composition of Warner Music in general, you know, recorded music makes up around 80% of their total revenues, um, which is kind of near almost a 4 billion US dollar business. But it's really complemented by the publishing side, mm. um, you know, which is more than $600 million per annum. Now, publishing for some people, you who aren't so familiar with the technicalities behind the industry, um, it's really where songwriters and composers receive a payment um, with their compositions when they're used commercially. Now, there are many facets to publishing. So you've got a pub, you know, the, the label publishing group could serve as a publishing administrator where they administer the copyright. And what I mean by that is that they protect the use of those songs as well as collect the royalties from them. On the creative side, they focus on maybe for lack of a better word, exploitation of that song, those songs. So just like we referred to with Hypnosis Songs Fund in season two, it's kind of using those songs and the likes of film, TV ads, games, etc. And then those creative teams also try and ensure that, you know, they can set up co-writes and pitch songs to artists. Um, I was actually for, uh, listening to an interview from Candice Pillay, which is actually a fellow South African who moved to LA and worked with Dr. Dre and John Connor on the Compton album. And uh, her big break came from, from one of her songs actually um, uh, being used or by Rihanna. And, and then she was kind of brought in by Christina Aguilera to co-write her album and inevitably led to, to Dre. That just is a bit of a side note. It's really interesting. I mean, if we compare, you know, kind of Warner from a publishing and, you know, kind of ownership perspective, and like you said, kind of with kind of a comparison to hypnosis and how they've kind of managed to, to grow the value of their songbook, right? I mean, if you take that and you compare it to Universal, right, and how different kind of Warner is to Universal, maybe how similar, um, but it's really interesting to see kind of the financial instruments that are happening with these kind of big groups that have a big catalog, right? Like with Universal, with their whole Vivendi and, you know, the ownership with Tencent and all of that kind of stuff coming together. Um, and we, we have episode two, which will release probably around the same time, um, an interview with uh, somebody from Universal Music with, with uh, Olivier Robert Murphy um, as well. So how do you kind of like, way up or kind of look at a comparison between somebody like WMG and, and Universal or UMG? Well, it's insane, actually, and I'm glad you raised this. So, you know, it appears that Vivendi wants to spin out a portion of Universal Music Group um, in IPO, as an IPO, by 2023. But there's this, uh, how can I say, uh, Puppet Master, which is inevitably is Tencent, which yeah. is, uh, again, we've spoken about extensively about Tencent, the Chinese music industry in season one, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I'll season, season one now. We're <laughs> through these episodes. Um, and, and Tencent, and, and, and really the corporate structure, or should I say the web that's become corporate ownership um, in the music industry is insane. So, uh, I mean, essentially, you've got Tencent Music, right? Oh, sorry. Tencent wants to acquire 10 to 20% of uh, Universal Music. Universal, yeah. All these cents and tens. Anyway, now you've got Tencent Music, and which is basically the Chinese version of Spotify. And Spotify own almost 10% stake in one another. Okay. And that was kind of inked in a deal in 2017. Then you've got Tencent, which acquired... 
10% of you. <laughs> yeah, talking about this is insane. I mean, if you want to look for a diagram, we'll share Sheree Hu's diagram from Music yeah. for Water on our, on, our, on our Instagram and on our, our Twitter page. Um, and then you've got kind of universal music. You've got Tencent, sorry, that wants to and has the option of buying a larger stake in Warner Music Group and Sony Music may own a share in Tencent. So, I mean, I'm not even going to try and explain this to you. Basically, they rule the world. Um, but actually, no, uh, you know, it, it seems to be that Tencent's really trying to make active acquisitions in the, in the music and media space. And considering the relationships between digital service providers, such as Spotify and Apple Music, the record labels, um, and the royalty payments, which are essentially affecting profitability for the DSPs, as well as the geographic implications of, of uh, how that affects their, their, their revenues, um, depending on the phase of the business, it becomes extremely um, complex, but also very thought-provoking. Yeah, because it's not like a straight-up consolidation in this space, right? It's no. not like one kind of takes up and owns a majority stake. These are very kind of small stakes in large businesses, but they give you enough in terms of building out that sense of a relationship between these different entities, right? And having some influence, if not control. And I think that's the interesting thing to see kind of whether it's Sony, whether it's Universal, whether it's Tencent, whether it's Spotify, the relationships. And I, and I would recommend that people kind of look at the diagram that we'll hopefully share on our, our social channels to make more sense of it. Um, but it is really interesting to see how it's not consolidation, but it's consolidated influence that you're seeing in this space, right? That people, the relationships between the entities make it really unclear as to who's a competitor and who's a collaborator, who stands to benefit if one kind of takes more of a competitive stake or wins more. Like that kind of fall on effect of whether it's Tencent Music, whether it's Universal, whether it's Warner, as they succeed, you know, they're basically helping their competitors or their collaborators or their investors. And in some cases, they're helping all of the above. Completely, it's insane. I mean, you know, if someone, when we look at our podcast analytics for this episode, you're going to just see a huge drop off rate when I'm trying to explain. Yeah, trying to explain. <laughs> yeah, so where, I mean, let's take it to Spotify, right? Like, I mean, and the streaming side. So where do these kind of streaming engines who don't necessarily have the catalog, right, that a Universal or a Warner fit, how do they kind of differ or how do they kind of fit into the whole ecosystem? Well, it's really hard because the likes of Spotify, Spotify is still in its growth phase, but it's been in a 12-year growth phase and it's going to continue to be in that phase. And essentially, despite the fact that you've noticed that a lot of the labels have a percentage stake ownership in Spotify, uh, a large uh, cost component for Spotify sits with royalty payments. They have to pay the labels. Um, And then there's also the complexities behind the Apple App Store and there's this uh, ongoing legal case between the App Store and, you know, essentially, um, you know, Apple almost is the gatekeeper. Yeah. So for those who don't know, like Apple through its App Store takes a 30% cut of all revenues earned through the app environment, right? Which is why like companies like Spotify and Amazon and, you know, even smaller companies, um, there's a company or a, a, a mail product called Hey.com uh, as well. That's kind of coming into that space right now that they're all trying to fight with kind of Apple's um, being the gatekeeper and then also kind of monopolizing and monetizing all the different revenue that the app makers make. And Spotify fits into that, right? Where you've got a competing brand like Apple Music in the natural kind of Apple environment. And then Apple is also cannibalizing your revenue as you come out. 
but that that's the only actual kind of relationship that Apple has with any of the the players in that web we spoke about earlier. Um, you know, if you were listening attentively, you would realize that actually we didn't we haven't mentioned Apple at all aside yeah. from this consideration, um, which is which is interesting as well. Now, taking back to your question, you know, for Spotify, royalty payments make up seventy percent of their revenues. Uh, they they last year kind of clubbed together with Google, Amazon, and, and Pandora, Sirius XM to try and appeal a decision um, which was set to raise songwriter and publisher royalty pay um, by 44%, um, which is huge, which would, again, affect their, their, their revenues even further. So, but the question is, is it contradictory? Because Spotify, so it seems, with their recent set of acquisitions in the podcasting space, they're trying to transform podcasting from an industry built around kind of open standards and traditional advertising into what we've very familiar with as, as a platform economy. Um, now, I guess the data would suggest that it's slowly starting to change in terms of people's listening preferences. Now, COVID aside, there's a, 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 an NPR study based in the United States which mentioned that you know 80% of, of people listen to music and 20% it's spoken word audio. That was in 2014. Five years later, it's shifted to 76, 24. And hmm. Spotify has made this boom of, of acquisitions, um, which, which I can go into in a second. Yeah, I mean, some of the ones that people will kind of know of and have heard of, I mean, Gimlet was really kind of one of the first kind of podcasters that kind of spun out of a, a, an NPR kind of background as well with their kind of Reply All um, podcast and others. Um, you know, the sports side with Bill Simmons, um, the big one has really been kind of Joe Rogan, right? That, you know, where they're getting that exclusivity side. And and it's really interesting to see how podcasting and that evolves, right? Like from, you know, our friend and colleague, Doug, uh, Dave Galbraith, who kind of worked on some of the RSS stuff um, in its early days, which is kind of the underlying kind of infrastructure that's used to kind of get people to see when there's an update in content, right? From a podcasting perspective and now owning the pipes and saying, okay, well, it'll be really interesting to see if, Joe Rogan, how much you know, he changes as he evolves and becomes purely on the Spotify platform, um, if that's kind of going to be the, the thing that they end up doing. And it's really interesting and kind of like if you go back to, you know, Sirius XM and their kind of deal with Howard Stern, you know, he's continued to kind of like, you know, kind of grow his listener base or change his kind of MO. And it'll be interesting to see if Joe Rogan follows a similar path, but with Spotify instead of Sirius XM. Well, I mean, the Rogan, the Rogan um, deal couldn't have come for a better time for, for, for Joe Rogan because, you know, we've, we've seen that advertising dollars are now lower than ever because of COVID. Um, they're predicted to, to continue um, to decline or stay low for, for quite a long period of time, um, which would particularly hit um, the ad revenue that he would see from the likes of YouTube. And uh, so the Spotify deal kind of is, is, a, is a great hedge. I mean, what is, is what got almost a hundred mil from it. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because he said back a couple of years ago, um, almost two years ago, we spoke to Erasmus Steven Tyler about this. Um, and, uh, basically I guess publicly, um, uh, who made his opinion very public that, you know, he, he doesn't see a point in being on Spotify for whatever reasons or really go into that. But I think the, the beauty of this deal is essentially, not only does he become the highest paid uh, broadcast in the world, but essentially it gives Spotify um, 
really great access to data, which helps to frame its, its, its and uh, justify its advertising business, which they feel will, will form um, quite a large component of their podcasting platform as they build out to try and create some point of differentiation from every other DSP, which focuses purely on music. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if you see consolidation beyond kind of audio, right? Like, so for me, the really interesting play here is do we see, you know, traditional and non-traditional visual mediums come in and start to kind of play a game in the audio side. So Netflix, who's got like a healthy balance sheet, who's seen kind of subscription numbers grow, who has the value on that, do they get into the consolidation and do they branch out beyond kind of video content, right? In the same way that Spotify's branched out beyond kind of music into audio, do we see more consolidation in media in general or do we see just kind of the relying kind of consolidation in just the audio format as well? That'll be one to watch in terms of how much more consolidation. And I think going back to your earlier point around the timing of the, the Joe Rogan deal, I, I don't think you can underweigh just how important kind of the COVID situation has become, right? As kind of ad revenue does kind of decrease dramatically. You know, I, I would have bet that had Ringer had kind of um, Joe Rogan, had you know, some of these kind of media um, new emerging brands stayed independent, they would have seen their revenues drop. And in the short term, sure, they probably would have seen their valuations decrease dramatically. And you know, there's never a better time to kind of pick up an acquisition than when the acquiring company is seeing a dramatic drop in their revenue. And so you can come in and, and get it on the cheap, mm -hmm. right? So while these deals look like really big right now, um, it'll be really interesting to see whether we look at them in 10 years time and see them kind of like what we people thought of, you know, Google be, buying YouTube, right? And seeing how much it changed the media side, or will we look back and see it as, you know, kind of Yahoo buying delicious, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, an older media brand kind of buying something that's on its way out. It'll be really interesting to see how those things evolve and whether, you know, kind of getting acquired, getting a, a chunk load of capital means that they invest in their brand or, does it mean that actually the brand kind of wears over time? It's a super good point. I mean, I, I like what you mentioned there, or all of it, but I mean, taking it to, to the Netflix thing, like it would be great to see, um, you know, we started to see more documentaries. You've got the Michael Jordan documentary and certain mm -hmm. artists uh, are put under the spotlight, a bit like, you know, MTV. Remember MTV? Um, it's funny we say that, but I mean, I haven't said that word in ages. I mean, aside from the award shows, it's like, where do they sit in all of this? Um, anyway, well, I'm, I'm, on that documentary point, the, the Michael Jordan documentary is a really interesting one because that's where kind of media overlaps, right? So you had the documentary itself and then ESPN and Disney were able to spin out so much content in a time where people were desperate for sport. You know, you had podcasts around the after show, right? So you see, okay, we're going to kind of put out the media in terms of the documentary itself, but then you have the making of kind of with the, the director coming onto a podcast every week as the episodes were dropped. And so you get media content from a podcast perspective alongside that. And I wonder if that's what we're going to see, right? You get kind of like this content where it's like a 10 series episode where you're looking at, for example, the uh, Biggie Tupac murders, right? And then you're having kind of podcasts around that alongside on the same brand in the same way that you've got The Last Dance with the Michael Jordan documentary. And I wonder if that's what, you know, kind of this media consolidation will then kind of enable bigger brands like Disney with Disney plus ESPN and others to kind of consolidate. And I wonder if ESP, if Netflix will do something similar. It's a great, it's a great point. I mean, I, um, 
I mean, I never thought about it like that, actually. Yeah, I mean, media is media, right? And I think it's one thing, like, and that's why when we were kind of starting middle school, you know, we were kind of contemplating, do we take the music out of it? Do we focus on media in general? Or do we look at kind of middle school as a music brand? And, you know, kind of now we're talking about audio and how podcasts relate to music um, streaming services as well. But it does go beyond and it does touch other media as well. When you can kind of create content in a way, you know, you are content creators, you are content distributors, you are content channels. Right. And I think that's what these players are trying to become. Thinking about that, actually, I would love to see, like, remember you hear about artists who had released a music video for every song or whatever it may yeah. be. Like, we've, we've learned that exclusivity with a DSP is particularly challenging. And I know that was the, the whole idea with the beats music, Jimmy Iovine relationship. And, and it was a, it, it flunked out with Katy Perry's um, kind of thing. Um, is kind of almost you, you make a Netflix type show. It's almost like a movie type thing. Yeah, uh, where you can, it's almost like a musical, but it's someone's album. Because a lot of albums are starting to go back to to the to concepts or themat, uh, kind of they've got they're thematically relevant, which is which is pretty cool. Because remember, I've said to you like, I feel that's critically important to to um, uh, to, to to getting people to to listen to a full project these days in a, in a kind of single song environment. Yeah, um, so it'd be great to see something like that. But but who knows what's What's really going to happen? Uh, I, no one has see, a crystal ball. Do you see any of the other kind of players? I mean, we've talked about UMG potentially going for um, going public hmm. as well. Do you see any other? I mean, it'll be really interesting. Like we, I mean, a lot of talk has been about like Amazon and AWS, right? And I wonder if like Apple and the iOS environment or the App Store plus kind of like Apple Music. Right now, we've seen some consolidation. I wonder if there's a, a some kind of conversation around, you know, how do you separate out these things because they are anti-competitive. And I wonder if there are other players that will come in to kind of like create more competition in these spaces. It's a good point because you know Apple Apple Music. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's got a different opinion on it, but I don't think it's doing. I don't think it's that great. Um, yeah. uh, the the podcasting side they started to now make some acquisitions as well i guess they've woken up to to uh what spotify is trying to do um i know to, to not not necessarily in terms of ipos but i know that title has been the first now to make a concerted effort to incorporate kind of dolby superior sound mm. um in, and an and an enhanced listening experience for its users um, which is something that many who I've spoken to in the industry have felt is, is lacking and would be a good point of differentiation moving into this hyper-competitive environment. I don't think that's really enough to, to I mean, it's like Blu-ray versus DVD, you know, or whatever it was, you know, or... or I mean, you could even take it back to like, yeah, you could even take it further back to VHS and Betamax, right? Like the superior technology isn't the one that always wins. Exactly. So yeah. I, don't, I don't really know, like, <clears throat> if that's really going to do much for them. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll see. I mean, it sounds like there's, you know, kind of some really interesting innovation from a financial markets perspective in the music space and kind of taking in the streaming as well as kind of the label and the publishing kind of side of things. It'll be really interesting to kind of watch how these kind of companies perform as public entities, you know, if they become kind of like, you know, resting on their laurels or if they're able to kind of continue to innovate and kind of change the way public publishing and distribution kind of continues to evolve.
Totally, totally. On that record, no, it's actually, um, I see EMI has made a, a resurgence from the dead uh, this week. So. Can't kill them. Can't kill them. They're, they're ah. still around. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the labels, the publishers, you know, the old school labels, the new school labels, the distributors, the channels like Spotify and, and Tencent and Apple, you know, kind of, and Tidal, how they all like combine, you know, to, to kind of like create, you know, a better user experience right? Getting access to all of these artists, all this content, you know, as a user, you really benefit, but will they be able to really kind of create the value for shareholders? That will be the interesting thing to watch. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, that was a pretty good conversation around kind of the, the financial element and, and the evolution on that side. Um, what's next for you, Dario? What, what do you got going on? What are you, what are you looking forward to from a music perspective? Oh, it's actually gone kind of quiet uh, again, so it seems. Maybe it's the calm before the storm. I think you've seen, um, well, Kendrick Lamar was meant to release his PG Lang album, and that whole uh, kind of campaign has gone quiet. But there doesn't seem to be much going on. I mean, I'd hate, I don't really want to give them publicity, but this Takashi 6 9 thing yeah. is particularly interesting. Um, I don't think in today's environment that you can correlate social media popularity to music quality. Because yeah. despite the fact that you're breaking other people's records, uh, it's got nothing to do with the, your, your, your kind of lyrical music, like musical talent. It's just got to do with how much crap you talk on social media. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's one thing about like getting the following, right? And then being able to monetize that following versus actual quality music. Yeah. Like, I think those are, those are definitely kind of things. And I, and I wonder if how much of it is stuff getting shelved because of the current kind of socio-political environment that we're in. Um, also with COVID as well. Like, so artists could release music, but then there's no way to actually tour off the back of that. And then the timelines for that. I mean, you know, we're going to see and you know, kind of a massive change in terms of concerts and how concert venues and how music is actually promoted from a live experience perspective. And I wonder if we're seeing some of the impact of that uncertainty on kind of how music's being released right now. Have you, uh, do you know one thing which is really cool actually, and I don't know if I've told you this, is if you go onto an artist's Spotify page and they've got a recent album release, they've always got an accompanying playlist of all the tracks that they felt um, influenced uh, their sound for that album, which is really, really cool. Because then when you listen to that, not only is it nostalgic, but also it brings back kind of, when you're listening to the album, where you see where those undertones sit from, where do they get, gather inspiration from? That's a really interesting, I mean, we've talked in the past about how like new albums also create like more streams of older back catalogs. Yeah. But if you can use the new album release as a way to create more streams altogether, um, and it'll be interesting to see like as the main conversation we had today, you know, how labels take advantage of that, you know, kind of curating, curating and creating playlists that are kind of fixed on kind of labels to increase their kind of volume of publishing revenue that they get from their other artists that maybe played an influencing role. So can you create more value from the back catalog from a new artist doing a new release? Totally. Um, well, really, really interesting. So that's, I think that's a good place to, to wrap. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, this actually so much industry news, but at a very surface level and we don't want to become a, any entertainment. Yes. So uh, we can keep it nice and sterile in the form of finance for today, depending on which way you look at it. Indeed. Uh, indeed. But with that, we'll say thanks again for listening to another great episode of Middle School Music. Um, I've been your host, Farhan Lalji. You can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. 
And Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on either on our Instagram page, actually, that's at middle school, MDLSKL, where you can find cool playlist recommendations and other weird stuff. Um, or on Twitter, that's at Dario underscore Devet with a W. All right. And thanks again for listening. And we'll see you guys soon. Cool. Ciao. Ciao.